0: Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and USU Year of the Arts, celebrating the power of the arts to elevate the human spirit and affirming the university's commitment to the arts. More info at usu.edu slash yearofthearts.
1: Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Uh, This uh, coming year, as a part of the USU Year of the Arts, Access Utah is participating with periodic uh, episodes uh, uh, surrounding various uh, uh, areas of the arts. And today, I thought it would be interesting to uh, jump into the world of music therapy. It's an interesting intersection of uh, art and uh, science. And uh, so we have with us in studio head of the music therapy program at uh, Utah State University, Associate Professor of Music, Maureen Hearns, who has uh, joined us. Th- thanks for coming over.
0: Thank you, Tom. Appreciate the opportunity to be here.
1: Let's uh, jump in with what music therapy is and is not. I'm looking at a frequently asked question section at the American Music Therapy Association, and they've given, they've given some example what it is not is um, a, a nurse playing background music for patients. I guess that's nice, but that's not music therapy. What it is, some examples, what credentialed music therapists do. One example is working with Congressman uh, Gabby Giffords to regain her speech after surviving a bullet wound to her brain. A uh, you know, very impactful example. What? Uh, so maybe you could, uh, that's a good starting place, what it, what it is and what it's not.
0: What it is. Um, those are good examples that the American Music Therapy Association uses to be a little bit more de- um, definitive about it, when we talk about what music therapy is, there's basically three components of it. Number one is it's the application of music to meet non-musical needs. So as in the case with Congressman Gifford, she had a traumatic brain injury, and part of the functions of her speech and other areas of cognition had been lost through through a, a means of using music the therapist helped her to regain speech, um, helped her to process cognitively in areas that had been lost to the brain. Now, that process, of course, required someone to have an understanding of how music can be used in that way and to be a credentialed music therapist, to have made an assessment of the client understanding their needs, working through a treatment protocol, and ongoing evaluation to evaluate just exactly how that therapy is going. So that whole process is much more involved than just a nurse who plays music at a, an assisted care center, which, of course, is beneficial to, to people, but not in the true definition of music therapy. Mm.
1: And w- what is it about music? I, we understand, right, even without science, that music can reach People in ways that uh, that other forms of expression can't.
0: Absolutely, we process music differently in the brain than we process other things. Um, there's emotional aspects of music. There's there's functional cognitive aspects. Um, there's there's intimacy between relationships with people. Everybody, not everybody, but the majority of people seem to have had some relationship with music in their lives. So because it's such a common medium for people, there's already a relationship established. So it's oftentimes very easy to use that relationship and take it into more of a therapeutic venue.
1: Mm-hmm. there's a lot of areas where music therapy can be used uh, i'd like to maybe talk about some some work you've done with uh, victims of domestic violence
0: sure um many times people have said that music uh, music therapy can be used from from the cradle to the de- to death and of cert- certainly all of the populations and aspects of our life through that period of time Uh, are ways that music therapists can access individuals' needs. My work with domestic violence, uh, victims of domestic violence, or perhaps I should better say survivors of domestic violence, my work has been to help them move through a lot of the emotions that they've experienced in their situation, gain a better sense of self, a stronger uh, value system, self-esteem, learning to... Learning to express their emotions uh, through music, maybe things that have been held inside for so long and didn't have any means of expression, through music and other creative arts such as drama and dance, the expression of that can be fulfilled. And an individual can gain a stronger sense of wholeness and purpose and meaning in their life by being able to have that expression.
1: Mm so expression maybe they couldn't express it otherwise songs that the therapist would bring to them songs that they would uh, it it could be both it could
0: be both um sometimes in in my work i would have the clients they would bring a poem perhaps that they had written or a part of their journal where they'd written about a certain experience and we would take that and we would put it to music so it gave them an opportunity to express those feelings in a perhaps in a song, or maybe in an ensemble percussion piece, or maybe in dance and movement, uh, maybe with drawing something on paper. So we used a lot of the different creative arts to be able to express feelings that maybe they'd written down, but never had the opportunity to say.
1: Hmm. And what does, I imagine it's effective, you're gonna tell me it's effective, right? But but uh, how so? How does it work in the brain then?
0: Uh, wow. There's so many different ways that music is processed in the brain. Um, we, we know that, that music can build different neural pathways. We know that uh, when one area of the brain is damaged, another area of the brain can be um, it, it activated, to process that same type of information. And music can help to build those new neural connections to reestablish perhaps uh, an area of the brain that has been lost or damaged by by basically innervating it through another way. So, hmm. this, that, that's a pretty deep and involved science yeah, by all yeah. means.
1: Uh, so tell me about, uh, I don't know if there are uh, you know, any people you've worked with, maybe you know, uh, survivors of domestic violence, That mm-hmm. uh, removing names, of course, that uh, um, the the arc of when they came in and then when they left the, the therapy and, and what the therapy did for them.
0: Sure. Uh, one particular person who comes to mind, um, when they first came into our, our group, and we worked with CAPSA here in the Valley, and this was uh, – this was several years ago, we had this initial group, and one of the particular women had, had felt very defeated, I think, in her relationship and was always desirous of pursuing her education, but was unable to do that because of the relationship she was in. She basically was denied access to education and things outside that were interesting to her. And so in the process of of our work together, she she is one that brought a poem. And the poem was about um, wanting to be herself and wanting to have the opportunity to follow the things that she wanted to follow in life, the goals that she had. And so we put that to song for her. And in her performing it, it really gave her a strong sense of personal empowerment, enough so that she could go back into that relationship and say to the individual, you're not going to treat me this way anymore. So it gave her a strong sense of empowerment, um, enough so that she could leave the relationship and feel okay about mm-hmm. herself. And she did that, and she went on to, to go back to school to get um, finish her bachelor's degree, actually attended school here at Utah State, graduated with a master's degree, got accepted into a doctoral program, Graduated from that and is now at a leading university teaching math. Mm. Wow! So a great story that took place over obviously several years, but it was that sense of personal empowerment where she could, she could, learn. She could hear what she was saying, what she was feeling, perhaps in another medium through Mm -hmm. this song, and gave her the strength to to stop a a difficult situation in her life.
1: Well, that's one I'm very happy for her. So that's interesting. She wrote a poem. But turning that into music was, was a, an important step.
0: It was, yeah. because it gave her an opportunity then to perform that piece in front of others, mm-hmm. uh, beginning, first of all, with the group and then to a larger audience. And the more she performed that, the more strength she had within herself. Mm-hmm.
1: You said that she, she was essentially getting some feedback. She was hearing herself.
0: Mm-hmm. hearing her, Hearing and, herself, because as she would perform it, um, to others, she would get feedback from them, and mm-hmm. she would, she would, you know, hear what they had to say about it. And then obviously, once it was recorded, to sit back and listen to that and think, wow, I wrote that? Yeah. That really came from me? That's good.
1: Hmm. Uh, wonderful. That, that must be very gratifying to, to have those experiences as a, a therapist. It was a right?
0: great opportunity. Yeah. A great privilege to work with her.
1: Uh, you recently received your doctorate, and you're your uh, study is interesting field uh, to me phenomenon of vicarious traumatization tell me what that is
0: sure when a when a therapist works with somebody who has experienced trauma listening to their stories has an effect on the therapist and we refer to that as secondary traumatization recognizing when that's happening in a the therapist's life is very important because without recognizing how you're being affected by someone else, the effects of that could be very negative and they could be very life-changing for you in terms of your relationship and the way you view the world perhaps, um, just the way you go about your daily life. Those things can can weigh very heavily on the mind. And it's not just with therapists that experience secondary traumatization we see that, for example, with first responders, uh, with our firefighters, with policemen, with other people that work. Anytime somebody's been affected by a traumatic situation and you are witnessing that, how does that affect you? And that's the phenomena referred to as secondary traumatization. Mm-hmm.
1: That could be, I imagine, very debilitating.
0: Um, Absolutely.
1: Yeah, if you experience that over and over again, right? Mm-hmm. So how can music therapy help with with that?
0: Well... I guess music therapy specifically could help in in uh, again having having different ways to I- express what you're feeling uh maybe again taking that out through through song through um through movement through some type of activity accompanied with music uh, through ensemble playing in a group having a group experience expressing your feelings and emotions through music in a, in a group setting. And um, music therapy is probably just one particular way that can, that people that experience secondary traumatization can work through it. In my study, the important thing was to help to identify what the, what the indicators of secondary traumatization were mm. so that people could then recognize that perhaps this was happening to them, and find some way to deal with it, whether it be through uh, psychological means such as music therapy or other th- some other therapeutic intervention, or if it was through physical activity or maybe something, a change in your work. But finding some ways to mitigate the effects of the secondary traumatization. Mm.
1: So tell me about that. What, what are some of the indicators? That, uh, this, is, this is indicators that you perceive yourself. I guess a person outside could also... Well,
0: some of the common indicators might be like irritability, restlessness, an inability to sleep at night, hypervigilance, being um, easily—you hear a sound in a room or something and you jump, you know, unexpectedly. Or somebody walks up and you have a startled reaction to that. Uh, Some of those physical indicators, uh, psychological indicators might be— um, like a, a change in your perception of the world, a, a cognitive schema changes, the way you process your thoughts, the way you process life events, all of, it, all, all of a sudden kind of has a, a, different, a different way of doing that for you. It, one of the biggest things is, is we see a change in a person's relationships with others, mm. in, in their immediate family, with their spouse. A lot of interrelational problems can surface.
1: Yeah, and again, this is uh, you're calling it vicarious traumatization. This is right. Secondary. Yeah, those are this the is, indicators
0: of vicarious. This is people helping people who are exactly.
1: Uh, so mm-hmm. I guess uh, firemen, nurses, sure, uh,
0: yeah.
1: uh, anyone yeah. who is encountering that. So, so a, um, I guess a hazard of those professions.
0: That's Absolutely, a, it it is a hazard to any to any helping profession.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I could see how, maybe an empathetic. Heart, empathetic sense that would lead one into those professions might then it leave is one e- vulnerable that to, is exactly to that. That is exactly
0: correct, Tom. It is the exact thing that brings us into the profession that can create the difficulty for it.
1: Right. So you uh, you do hear about uh, you know people in some of those professions that have to put on a hard shell, or they talk about putting on a hard shell. Sometimes people outside that can judge that, but the, that's uh, I guess it's, a protective, it's a shell. protective shell. Absolutely, right, yeah. Yeah. So did you I guess you did you talk to a lot of these people uh for the study um or was it was it more secondary sources or what? Uh?
0: In my particular study for this I actually interviewed eight music therapists across the United States yeah. living in in various regions of the United States and to get a sense of their education what they had learned in school about secondary traumatization or maybe hadn't learned in school. Had they learned about these indicators of secondary traumatization, and were they experiencing any of that in their work mm. and how they took care of themselves when they recognized it, so I was mm. looking at to see whether or not first of all they're aware of it, they're aware of the indicators and and then i, I wanted to know what did you do? Mm. How did you take care of yourself
1: yeah, so music therapists themselves could be prone to this oh absolutely, you know? okay, uh, I guess in just in terms of um uh, Maybe you could explain that a little more, because it, on the face of it, you could see, you know, a fireman rushing into a building, or you know, a um, music therapist. It would seem it would be somewhat removed, but I guess going through with a person, them working through their their trauma in that way, can can leave the music therapist open to that.
0: Well, I go back to my work with uh, with women victims of domestic violence, as I would hear their stories, things that had happened to them things that are happening to their children, I, I got a sense of, um, for lack of a better word to say, I was angry. I was angry about what was happening to them. And I felt like I just, if, if, any, if any male would have walked down the street at a particular time, I would have been angry at that person just because mm. he was a male not because he had done anything or because i even knew him but just because he represented by nature of who he was he represented the the heinous crimes that i was seeing that mm. i was hearing about day after day after yeah. day and so yeah it it changed my perception somewhat mm. i should say of um, of men and so i had to, i had to work through that so that i didn't continue being angry about mm-hmm. something like that. So that was an example of secondary traumatization.
1: Interesting. So uh, that's at or a move, but I guess you're empathizing with the person you're you're understanding, you're feeling in some way in a yes. secondary way their trauma.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. You're you are in essence experiencing their trauma in some way, yeah. which is why it's called secondary traumatization right. or vicarious traumatization is another right. word for that.
1: So it must be difficult to navigate that because you have to leave some part of your heart open, right? You do. <laughs> you can't totally just cover you everything do. with protective shell because you gotta help the person, right?
0: And that's why it's so important that that the therapist can recognize those indicators and know when that's happening to them and then go to one of the resources that they previously identified. How they're going to take care of themselves? Maybe it's time off for a while. Maybe it's going camping. Maybe it's going for a hike more often with the family. It's just doing something that they've identified will help them not be affected by the trauma that they're hearing so yeah. often. Yeah. And that's different for every person. What what resources available to them?
1: Okay, um, but important. I guess the important important service you got to take in care of very, the therapist very too. Very very
0: important. Yeah. We look at. We look at uh, our profession at large, and after we we kind of joke about it a little bit. We call it the the five year the five year jumping off point because so oftentimes after an individual enters the profession, many times after five years they they kind of. Maybe go away a little bit from their profession. And we've often wondered why. And I'm sure there are lots of reasons for that. But I think one of the reasons is because it is intense work. And they haven't identified yet that this concept or this phenomenon of secondary traumatization. And they haven't established ways to take care of themselves. They just realize that what they're doing is too much and it doesn't feel good to them anymore. And so they leave the profession. Hmm. And so I, th- I think that uh, that secondary traumatization is one of those factors, and which is one of the reasons why I wanted to study that in the sense of what are we as educators doing to prepare our students to recognize this, and are we doing enough? Mm.
1: How did you work through it? How did how did others that you've talked to work work through it? Um, what are some of the techniques to overcome this?
0: Uh, again, the techniques to overcome secondary traumatization. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, a- as I mentioned, basically there, there's, there's several different ways. We could look at physical interventions. We could look at psychological interventions. We could look at professional interventions. So th- there's, there's different ways, whether it be um, developing a meditative routine, taking on a new hobby, or seeking professional help. Many different ways that it can be approached. Mm -hmm. And again, it's individual for every person. You can't just go up to a person and say, oh, you're experiencing the the effects of secondary traumatization. You should go see a psychologist and work with someone for a while. That might work for somebody, but maybe not for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, I guess you'd have to approach it a little delicately. A person might just be irritable because they're irritable, right? Uh, right. guess uh, yeah. you look at the full spectrum and then and then approach it from that perspective. We're talking about music therapy. We uh, thought it would be interesting to, to jump into the, that world. Uh, a lot of uh, musical therapists would we'll jump into a little bit of history. I think it's fairly recent uh, in in some ways. The, the certification, right, board-certified music therapists uh, – That sort of thing. We'll talk about that when we come back. uh, Talk a little bit more about some of the ways that music therapy uh, can work. For example, going back to the American Music Therapy Association, um, the groups such as uh, working with older adults to lessen the effects of dementia, working with children uh, and adults to reduce the asthma episodes. That's interesting. Working with hospitalized patients to reduce pain. Uh, We'll talk about uh, some of those things as well. We're uh, participating in the USU Year of the Arts. And over the next year, we'll be uh, delving into various aspects of the arts. And today, music therapy with Associate Professor of Music, uh, Maureen Hearns. More following this break.
0: Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and USU-Kane College of the Arts 50th Anniversary Gala of the Chase Fine Arts Center featuring actress and singer Kelly O'Hara, the Department of Music, and the American Festival Chorus and Orchestra. Wednesday, October 18th at 7.30 p.m. Details at usu.edu slash year of the arts.
1: This is Management Minute by Professor Scott Hammond.
0: How are new tech organizations different from old tech manufacturing? One way is in how they communicate. In an old tech work environment, there was a chain of command. In the new tech world, senior leadership might go around the org chart and work directly with workers as needed. Org charts are constantly evolving. For example, I visited a tech company this year with about 1,000 employees. The product interface was being changed, and it was a critical project that landed in the lap of a young programmer. But senior managers didn't bother to check on the project through the line supervisors. They went right down the line to the project leader and then moved on.
1: The Management Minute is brought to you by our members and the USU John M. Huntsman School of Business one-year Master of Business Administration, specializing in strategic business development and value creation, business analytics, and finance. Details at huntsman.usu.edu slash MBA. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. Our topic today is music therapy part of the USU Year of the Arts, and so for the next uh, approximately year, uh, we'll be having periodic episodes of Access Utah dealing with various aspects of the arts today an interesting intersection of art and science, music therapy, and we're talking with the head of the music therapy program at USU, Maureen Hearn. She's associate professor of uh, music at uh, Utah State University. So uh, we're talking about uh, vicarious uh, trauma. Very interesting topic. We go back a little bit more to specifically uh, music therapy. Uh, so, Marine Hearns, um, maybe you could profile for us the type of person that wants to get into music therapy. You deal with a lot of people. There's an extensive audition process to get, at least to get into USU's uh, program. I imagine you start with some musical ability, and then uh, what are what are the things that people want to accomplish through this?
0: We do. The most frequent response that I hear from potential candidates into the program is that they want to use their music that they've learned in their life, the skill that they have, and the fact that they love to help people. So they they often look at it as a combination of the two things they love the most, which is music and psychology. Uh, uh, The audition process that we have is very extensive. We We look at, of course, the musical foundation that the candidate has because strong musical skills are very important. Our students need to have a a strong background in one major performing instrument, which can be voice, piano, or trumpet, percussion, anything, obviously, that they will then study here with our studio faculty but then they also need to have an ability with being able to accompany themselves in singing so we're looking at vocal skills we're looking at piano skills and we're also looking at guitar skills so our students our candidates do need to have a very strong musical background in addition to that um the personality of the individual is very important. How well do they how well can they sit and comfortably talk with another person? Do they have good listening skills? Can they be an empathetic individual? Those are some of the main characteristics that we're looking for in the audition process. Mm.
1: Why piano and guitar? I, I could guess that this these are Pianos are a lot of places. Guitar is portable. Sure.
0: uh, A music therapist will use the piano and guitar as the major accompanying instruments that they have for facilitating therapeutic interventions. So all music therapists have have background and functional skills in piano, guitar, and voice. mm -hmm. Whatever their major performing instrument is could be one of those three or it could be something totally different. But we look for really strong functional skills with piano, voice, and guitar.
1: Mm-hmm. So there are, I guess, you could use other instruments. Pardon me. You could use other instruments in music therapy, could you?
0: Oh, absolutely! And that's why the major performing instrument mm-hmm. could be could be anything.
1: Yeah. What are are there some unusual ones you have encountered? Mm-hmm. B- bassoonists who get into music therapy or something? I,
0: I, I've had a, students that uh, were tuba players, yeah. mandolin, harp. Uh, Flute is a very common one, clarinet. I think the majority of our students have piano and voice as their major performing instruments, Mm -hmm. but certainly we've had some of the others. Mm -hmm.
1: I was uh, watching a couple of videos uh, in preparation for this. Uh, One lady was doing a podcast on this, and she talked about... When she was doing an internship, she uh, started writing songs. She had a she had a repertoire of songs that she had written, which she was glad she had because she now uses it in her practice. Mm-hmm. I guess songwriting would be a,
0: mm-hmm.
1: a skill that would be used.
0: Absolutely, and our students do a lot of songwriting in in the program itself. We have most of our students will write at least ten to twelve original songs during the time that they're in the program. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to sit with a client and help them again. Express what they're feeling in song is very important, and sometimes that is done in the moment on the spot. Sometimes maybe you have a little bit more time to work that out, but it's very important skill for music therapists. Mm-hmm.
1: So take me through what what a, a session would uh, would a would, typical would, session a typical se- session yes
0: a kind of a typical session. Well, let's see what would be a good a good example might be um, at an assisted care center. The session would would uh, often have maybe six to eight clients in it. And perhaps the goals for that session that day would be to increase or maintain cognitive stimulation, uh, do some movement, maybe some exercise and relaxation, have some type of social interaction occurring with the client so of course, before we begin any session, we have a clear understanding of what our goals are for that session and how we're going to use music to meet those goals. We always begin the sessions in a group session like that, particularly, uh, with some type of a introductory hello song, we call it. And after that, we would move into uh, a music experience that would more or less match the mood of the clientele. So perhaps we're with an assisted care center and the the group is kind of low energy at that time. So the first intervention we do might be something a little bit more quiet. Um, Maybe it'd be a sing-along, maybe it would be a a, a slow movement activity or something like that, something that would help match the mood of the client. And then maybe the after that we would follow with something that would be a, a little bit more stimulating. We might have some type of a musical game to increase cognitive stimulation. Uh, we might have some type of a, a uh, name that tune kind of thing to try to increase memory retention and um, recall things together, work on maybe... Uh, reminiscence of something like that and then maybe following that that would be more uh, more stimulative and following that we might have something like uh, maybe like a relaxation or a a movement type exercise where we would be providing the music to facilitate and cue the different movements that the clients were doing and then we would end with a a closing song So we're not uh, yeah. necessarily closing, but goodbye. Yeah. So we have a yeah. hello, goodbye, and then we try to follow a, a, a more or less type of a, a flow through the session where we meet the energy, increase the activity a little bit, and then bring it back down right. again.
1: I assume you'd have goals. So yes. Try to get the, the client to. Right?
0: right. You always always have to have a goal defined and what you're working with with the client yeah. and the objectives for that goal.
1: Yeah. I'm wondering about here reading in from the American Music Therapy Association uh, website. Um one example they give is working with uh, people to reduce asthma episodes. And that seems kind of doesn't fit the what the place I would put it more would be, you know, mental things. Mm-hmm. Uh, asthma seems very physical, I guess the relaxation, what are what are you going for with music therapy and relaxation
0: and, uh, is one thing, breathing is very important. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um with an asthmatic client, they've got to increase the amount of air that they take in and the way they expire the air. So, of course, you could use music to uh, to breathe in to a certain count and then release it to a certain count. So you're trying to strengthen the intercostal muscles and strengthen the entire breathing apparatus that the individual has. And you, you accompany that with the music because we know from, a, from the research that people will adhere to any type of a of a treatment program even in physical therapy and we watch the runners on the street all the time they have music they're listening to music because music helps us to be able to accomplish so many physical things like that mm-hmm. and so yeah we would use uh, work with the asthmatic client to increase breathing to strengthen the breathing muscles
1: mm. mm-hmm. what's uh What genre did you fit the music in? Is it more kind of folky? Is it uh, what what sorts of music? That depends
0: on the client. Okay. We always use client-preferred music, which is one reason why our our students need a, a really good, strong musical background is so that if they're working with an individual who really likes country, they'll use the country genre. If they're working with somebody that likes jazz, they'd want to use songs of that genre mm-hmm. and so it's always client specific whatever the client prefers for the music that's what we would use
1: if you heard of a client uh, that preferred you know hip-hop mm-hmm. rap so you you can Absolutely. use that okay
0: hip-hop rap jazz yeah. contemporary classical
1: and it would it would always be live performance Would never you wouldn't play recording
0: Sometimes we would use recorded music. It, again, it would depend on what the goal was. Mm-hmm. If the if the goal was something that would would uh, lead more to using a, a recorded piece of music, we might use that. Mm-hmm. It, it, again, it always depends. It's, yeah. it's not, it's not one-thing-fits-all type yeah. situation.
1: I wonder, I, I don't know, if you, if you have any other person that leaps to mind, removing names and et cetera. It's, it's always good to punctuate this, uh, you know, science with with story. Uh, anyone else that you've helped uh, or one heard of the, have been one helped? One of the
0: areas of music therapy that is um, becoming more prominent in our field today is in the area of hospice, the hospice music therapist. And oftentimes we are with the client in those final moments of life. One particular client that comes to my mind is someone that... Uh, Probably was in his late 80s and not really active socially. Lived at home with his older sister who took care of him. And he didn't do a whole lot of things. And as I started to visit with him, we started to sing songs that he used to know when he was a child. Little songs about billy goats exploding Mm -hmm. with dynamite and things Mm -hmm. like that. Just fun little folk songs that he had learned. And as we sang these songs together... I started to have him accompany himself by by playing a little drum. And I remember at one time in one session he said, I never thought I would get this old and be able to learn something new mm-hmm. because he had learned to play that drum. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of fun times together singing his old songs while he would play on the drum. And as he got as he declined more in life, some of the final sessions that we had together was I would just go over there and sing with sing songs to him that he had loved his whole life, and as he transitioned, I was able to 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 slow the song down to match his breathing, and and help him make that that final transition through oh, life.
1: Oh, wonderful, yeah, very helpful. Sounds like, yeah, I'm reading a story. They have some stories here on the on musictherapy dot org. Uh, American Music Therapy Association um, going along with that. Uh, one music therapist talking about a, a gentleman. Who uh, was in hospice was was um, requesting some songs. One of the songs that he requested was "Send in the Clowns" by Stephen Sondheim, and the second one that was very touching to me. Was uh, try to remember from the Fantastics, mm-hmm. and he was unable to sing along with most of it, but he would mouth the the some mm-hmm. of the lyrics to, it, especially directing it to his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, try to remember and follow without a hurt. The heart is hollow. Deep in December, it's nice to remember the fire of September that uh, made us mellow.
0: Those are really intimate moments that yeah. he shared with his wife, that obviously the therapist was able to bring back to them, even though he couldn't participate in it, perhaps verbally. Yeah, as you said, he was mouthing the words, and they were able to share that memory together in those yeah. final moments.
1: And so a lot of meaning was to be able to, p- yeah. to be passed through that music. Yeah, that's uh, those intimate that type
0: situations are so. So incredible, so mm. special, so such an honor to be there.
1: Mm. Let's take another break when we come back. I want to talk about a few other uh, areas uh, re- reducing pain through music therapy. Uh, I want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, helping children who are on the uh, aut- autism spectrum. Um, work with premature infants to improve sleep patterns and increase weight gain. So there's a lot of, a lot of areas that music therapy can can uh, work in. We're talking with Maureen Hearns, who is uh, director of the um, music therapy program at USU. She's associate professor of music at Utah State University. And uh, this program is a part of the Year of the Arts, which is ongoing at Utah State University. More following this break. If, like most of us, your paycheck is smaller than you think it ought to be, that happens for a reason, you know. Withholding and its uh, close companion information reporting is absolutely necessary to uh, to get compliance with the tax laws. I'm Kai Rizdahl. Tax withholding. Whence it came. Next time on Marketplace.
0: Join us tonight at 630 on Utah Public Radio.
1: Thursday evening, the Logan Herald Journal and Utah Public Radio are sponsoring a candidates forum for those seeking office in Logan. The forum will include remarks from four mayoral and 10 city council candidates. That's at the Logan Library beginning at 6 Thursday evening. Ballots for the primary race have been mailed and need to be postmarked or brought to Logan City Hall by 8 p.m. on August 14th. To learn more about who is running for office in Logan, join us Thursday evening at 6 at the Logan Library. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. am Tom Williams, and uh, I'm here in studio with Maureen Hearns, Associate Professor of Music at Utah State University. She's head of the uh, music therapy uh, program at uh, USU. And we're talking about music therapy on the program. Interesting intersection of uh, art and uh, science. And this is a part of the USU Year of the Arts. Love to have your perspective here. If you've had an experience perhaps with music therapy, um, your perspective at 800-826-1495 800-826-1495 or upraxcess at, gmail.com, or email, at uh, gmail.com So Marine Hearns, uh, I made reference earlier in the program to a bit of history. I wonder if you'd give us a, just a little bit of history of of mu- how music therapy d- d- developed. Right now it's, uh, it's quite well developed. Um, you, you have opportunities for music therapists to be board certified and American Music Therapy Association. I'm, I'm sure that had to develop over time.
0: Absolutely, going back 150 years or so ago, in the um, early 1900s, and and even even before that, in the late 1800s, but particularly in the, in the 1900s, when the when the servicemen would come home from war, and they would be dealing with a lot of things, depression, post traumatic stress, there weren't any resources for them. And some of our nation's largest hospitals for veterans, they started to bring in music. And they had little bands together, and the patients would perform in bands together. Or maybe they would have choral groups together. But they would be doing things musically as a group, and that seemed to help them. Mm -hmm. And those were some of the very early beginnings of music therapy. And then, although we didn't call it music therapy at the time, and then we started seeing where people would help. Children with disabilities in school uh, begin to use music maybe to help them maintain a routine, help them be less agitated, help them focus and concentrate on what was going on. And so some of the early, early research in music therapy back in the 1950s was based on em- empirical research in schools uh, behavioral type studies, uh, t- helping students, like I said, maintain concentration, increase cognition, uh, increase learning, and so a lot of our early research focused on that for many many years, and then as we as we actually became a well established profession, in the late fifties and late sixties, we moved more into areas of uh, uh, music with uh, other populations outside of the schools we worked with more older adults we started to see more work with uh, in medical settings uh, different the areas in schools expanded a lot uh, working extensively as you mentioned earlier with autism um, a great deal of work and study has been done with that. With speech and language, working together with speech and language pathologists, a lot of joint work together like that with the music therapist and the speech pathologist. So a lot of areas in the schools were expanded. And then in, in after that, we kind of just took off in areas of, of neurologic music therapy, uh, working with the uh, uh, more hospice uh, clients, uh, rehabilitation, elderly clients, and moving into so many different areas from that. Mm. And, of course, working a lot with children um, in the hospitals, uh, neonatal situations, young children in hospitals, and helping them in their early, early stages of development. Mm.
1: This video is watching this music therapist. That was uh, fielding some questions. Um, a subtext of one of the questions uh, seemed to be uh, perhaps pushback. Is there is there pushback? Some some people who are questioning the validity of music therapy.
0: I, I think I think there has been, um, and I think most of that has just been because they haven't understood what the what the practice of music therapy was, or perhaps they felt like. Um, we weren't trained to do something, and we were claiming that we could, which is why I emphasize with the schools that we work, we worked very jointly, perhaps with a speech language pathologist, because we're not speech language pathologists by any means, but we can work with them in assisting, you know, the, working with the same goals with the with the student, with the with the client that's uh, dealing with some type of an issue there, a problem there. And so we work together. We Mm. work with educators together in the school. So we work with mental health counselors. We're not not the mental health counselor. We're not the language, speech, language pathologist. But we can work with these individuals together.
1: But I imagine the training that you give the students would re- require them to have some understanding of these other fields because you're Absolutely. going to be working with them, right?
0: Yes, and that's why the educational program is so ex- intensive because we do have our students take classes in so many different areas so they can be able to work with other individuals from other professions and other disciplines.
1: Right. Uh, and again, the, you say that uh, you know students are attracted to this field uh, to use their music but also attraction to psychology, I suppose. and. and wanting to help. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's an interesting intersection. You, you I guess uh, you, I guess me, I would tend to pigeonhole people. You know? You're either a musician or you're a psychologist. This is a joining of the two.
0: It is. It is. And then even in the terms of joining in the area of psychology, there's many branches of psychology that intersect with that as well. Mm. So whether it be abnormal psychology or child psychology or family and marriage, Relations. So there's a lot of different areas in the psychology that intersect with it as well. Mm-hmm. And students and professionals will tend to, over a period of time, migrate to one area more than another and become more specialized working with that particular branch of psychology or, or whatnot. Mm-hmm.
1: I want to have you talk a little bit about um, using music therapy to uh, manage pain, reduce pain. Uh, that seems like a very useful and interesting use of music therapy.
0: Absolutely. You know, the research shows that we can only process so much information at one particular time. And the magic number oftentimes seems to be seven. So if there's seven different stimuli that are entering our brain that we're dealing with, whether it be pain or uh, agitation, anxiety, there's only so much that the brain can process at one time. So we use music to basically become one of those things that we're processing. And, and then we're, we're taking the attention away from the pain by focusing more on the music. Yeah. Or we're using the music for relaxation to help the body relax, reduce the level of anxiety. And so we're mitigating the effects of the pain, again, by taking – our focus away from the pain, or our focus away from the anxiety that the client ex- is experiencing, to the music.
1: Mm-hmm. That's interesting. The, the pain, I guess, would usually often be associated with anxiety. The two kind of
0: mm-hmm.
1: interact, and maybe a you know downward word s- mm-hmm. spiral. You know, one would exacerbate the other. Um, working with uh, premature infants to improve sleep patterns and increase weight gain. Here's an interesting. Use of music therapy because it's these are obviously pre-verbal, you know, uh, but I guess something about music uh, touches something in the brain, right?
0: Absolutely. Are you talking about with with the, young children? With yeah,
1: yeah premature infants is what, uh, what what this is saying on the on the website.
0: One mm-hmm. are of the areas that one of our colleagues in in um, in South, southeastern Florida has worked a lot with is helping young children learn to develop suckling behaviors. Uh, many times the premature infant isn't able to do that and by, by use of what's called a, a, a music-activated pacifier. So, when the when the music would play, then the child would activate the pacifier and learn the suckling response. And so it was a combination of kind of using that old Skinnerian-type operational, preconditional-type conditioning, you know, to learn how to to respond behaviorally to something, operant mm-hmm. conditioning and whatnot. So it was that it's basically that same concept, but there would be the the music would stimulate the infant to activate something and to behave in this particular way. And so when... Again, programming that behavior in the mind and in the brain—it's mm-hmm. kind of an interesting study that she yeah. did.
1: And I don't know. This is uh, this is you know going out on a limb, but uh, maybe you could take it. I don't know if there's any studies dealing with music therapy but to take it earlier, so pre-birth. You know, we've heard you know famous things about playing Mozart to your unborn children, sort of a sort of a thing. And I don't know if those those were ever you know. <laughs> peer-reviewed and that sort of thing. Have you heard of any, any studies in that realm?
0: Sure. There, there is a music-assisted childbirth, which is an area of music therapy that is uh, developing a lot more today. And in that particular training, the music therapist will work with the mother during during the, the pregnancy. And there will be certain songs that they will play and learn together and whatnot. And then at the time of birth, they would use those same songs again, and it seems to facilitate the birth process a lot, um, helping the child as well as helping the mother. Mm. So that, that's a, another area of music therapy that I personally haven't studied in a lot, but it is certainly becoming more more well-known, and that Mm. is music-assisted childbirth. So that does Mm. begin pre-birth.
1: Yeah, yeah. We have an email that's coming from Steve. He said, uh, I'm coming to the conversation late. Perhaps you've already discussed this, but what is it about the human brain that makes it so responsive to music?
0: I I think the, the number one thing is just that as I mentioned earlier, that, that music is processed differently in the brain than than other types of information. Music activates so many different areas of the brain simultaneously. Um, it, it also helps the brain to, to integrate itself. And so just the way that the— I really don't know all the, the, the specific answers as to how the brain does that— but definitely we know from studies that that music integrates the brain more fully and that music will activate, as I said, simultaneously more areas of the brain than other types of incoming stimulation.
1: Mm. Then uh, Steve has a second part to this, and this is uh, speculative. Um, he goes on to say, and do you suppose it's uniquely human? Being highly speculative here, he says, uh, take uh, cetaceans, you know, dolphins and whales. They're verbal in their own way. I wonder if something similar goes on in their brains.
0: You know, the study of music therapy in India is quite interesting um, because they actually work specifically with dogs, cats, dolphins, horses, and they have certain types of music that they have developed for working with animals. And so I, I personally believe that animals have a way of interacting with music as well. Hmm, interesting. You know, there's, there's an interesting film out about the horse whisper. Um, but I personally know that if I will sing a lullaby to my dog or to my horse, that they will calm down.
1: <laughs> oh, really? So you have personal experience. Here. And you do have horses, right? I yeah. do. So, so a calming lullaby will calm them down. Yeah. Good. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> Uh, I wonder, we just have a couple minutes left, uh, if if you have another story you could tell us, you know, removing names and you know, if, uh, perhaps someone that you've helped through field of music therapy.
0: Maybe if I could just tell a personal story about myself. Yeah. That'd be okay. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. When I first, before I ever knew what music therapy was, I was a member of the Tabernacle Choir, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. And we went on tour over to Europe, and we're singing at a a concert in Prague, Czechoslovakia. It was in the early 90s, and it was right after the time that the Berlin Wall had fallen. And there was a particular song that was very well known to the Czech people, and the title of it in English is Waters, Ripple, and Flow. It's a song metaphorically about freedom and about liberty, and to the Czechoslovakian people, of course, that had been denied them for many, many years. And so right after the Berlin Wall fall, fell and the Tabernacle Choir was over there singing, we chose to sing that particular song. And when we first started to sing it on stage, I watched the audience almost in horror because that song had been prohib- prohibited, prohibited to sing. They were not allowed to do that. And if anybody was singing that song they could be put to death it was just so forbidden in the country and so the immediate reaction of the of the people was one of oh my goodness they shouldn't sing that song this is very this is a very forbidden thing to do but then immediately thereafter they realized that no that had been taken away it was now okay for them to do that And the whole audience almost just began to sob Mm. because it was such an important piece to them. And they had been forbidden to do that, and now they could. And as I watched that audience, I thought, wow, that was an incredible power that the music had. I wonder why.
1: Mm.
0: And so that was the beginning of my thought about how music could affect people. Interesting, And that was probably... 10 or 15 years before I actually began to study music therapy myself. I actually did that at a later period of life.
1: That's a powerful moment and a good good place to, to end it. We're out of it time. It was a uh, powerful moment. Uh, Maureen Hearns heads up the music therapy uh, program at Utah State University. She's associate professor of music at USU, and uh, this program has been part of, we'll have ongoing periodic episodes uh, dealing with USU's Year of the Arts. And uh, So thanks for listening uh, today. Thank <music> you.